pray with me. Father, your grace precedes us, and everywhere we go, our entire lives are in response to what you have gone before us and done, and your Spirit precedes us this morning. It has come before those who confess their lives and allegiance to you. And our praise is a response to that. And it has come in advance of those who do not confess their allegiance to you. Because that doesn't change your love for them. And so for all of us gathered, would you help us hear and know and experience the word that you have for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Our text this morning is in John chapter 20. I should have just told you to remain standing. But we're going to be in John chapter 20, and we're going to read verses 30 and 31. And now that you've gotten comfortable, stand right back up, and we'll read together in reverence for God. John 20, 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Belief and Believing. By the end of chapter 20 in John's gospel, Jesus has risen from the grave, appeared to Mary Magdalene, and then to the other disciples, and had his famous encounter with Thomas, with Thomas's exclamation coming as the confessional crescendo of John's gospel, and he exclaims, my Lord and my God. That is as high a Christology as it gets. Others have gotten close in the gospel, but no one besides Jesus up until that point has explicitly linked Jesus and God. And then John almost interrupts the narrative because the gospel's not over yet. There's still chapter 21, which is Jesus' resurrection appearance. He's cooking breakfast by the sea for the disciples. But he interrupts it with verses 30 and 31. And it's as if John says, look, what I'm trying to tell you is this. There aren't enough pages in the world that could somehow be the full and exhaustive anthology of all that Jesus said and did. And John says that later at the end of chapter 21 and verse 25 where he says, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But John says, but the ones that I have included, these are written, and just pause right there, because these signs John has included in his gospel are massively important. 
And just as a preface, before we look at them, it is often remarked about the Gospel of John, and I think it's a part of John's genius, and I think it's a quote I think it's a quote from Augustine, and he was talking about all of Scripture, but in sort of the ether of quotes and how it's uh, been used, it's often said about the Gospel of John, and that is that it is shallow enough for a child to wade in and deep enough for an elephant to swim. And we're about to swim with the elephants, because the way in which John structures Jesus' signs is evocative imaginative, and brilliant. So John begins his gospel with a prologue that that many of us are familiar with in verses 1 to 18. And of course, the very first phrase in the gospel of John is, in the beginning. And John is often, he uses double meaning, and John uses this phrase to both denote the beginning of his gospel, but more importantly, echo the other time in Scripture that a book begins in the beginning, Genesis. And Genesis informs multiple parts in John's gospel, perhaps none more so than the prologue. So John reinterprets in verses 1 to 18 of chapter 1 the creation account Christologically, showing Jesus' centrality to it all. So he says, talking about Jesus, all things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. And then sort of picking up on God's let there be light in Genesis, John says of Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, how precisely this aligns with Genesis is beside the point. Don't try to figure that out. The point is the connection between Jesus and his participation in the Godhead that precedes all of creation, and thus his centrality to the creation of all the universe. So continuing that creation theme, John, again, very specific in his language, he starts talking about the days of Jesus' ministry. On this day, the next day, the next day, And where else in Scripture do we see the repetition of, and the next day, and the next day, Genesis? So, I want you to follow along with me, because I want you to see this. So, it's in John chapter 1, and day 1 begins uh, in verses 19 to 28 of John 1. And then, if you'll notice... In verse 29 of chapter 1, that paragraph begins, the next day, day 2. Then in verse 35 of chapter 1, new paragraph, the next day, day 3. Then in verse 43, the next day, day 4. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it begins... On the third day, which in the conception of night and day just means two days later, which would be day six. So chapter two begins on what in John's conception of day six. And on day six, the signs of Jesus begin, with the first one being turning water into Welch's grape juice at the wedding at Cana. 
And so John makes this explicit. In verse 11, he says, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. At this point, we don't get another day designation in the way that John had been doing it. This next day, next day, next day. It's as if John pauses on day six of his reimagined creation narrative. And just as a refresher, what happens on day six in Genesis? It's the creation of humankind. And we have in John's narrative the perfect new Adam, the renewed human, giving witness to God in his signs. So during this suspended day six, how many signs are there? Well, there's the sign at the wedding. That's in chapter 2, so that's one. Second, Jesus heals a Roman official's son in chapter 4. Third, he heals a lame man at the pool in chapter 5. Fourth, he feeds the 5,000 in chapter 6. Fifth, heals the blind man in chapter 9. And then sixth, he raises Lazarus in chapter 11. And then it's as if the signs stop. Six signs within this suspended sixth day of John's retelling of creation, as if both are awaiting completion. So then, zoom ahead to chapter 20. And at the beginning of chapter 20, it begins, now on the first day of the week. And this is the next time we get a day designation. And not just any day, but the first day of the week. The seventh day, a full week. And what happens on this seventh day? Jesus' resurrection, the seventh sign. The seventh sign on the seventh day. John's master class in literary structure, taking these themes and weaving them together, bringing them into this sort of unity is nothing short of genius. And by structuring his gospel this way, John is making the point that the one by whom, in whom, and through whom all of creation was made is the one by whom, in whom, and through whom all of creation is remade. And that one is Jesus. Jesus by his life and work, is renewing and bringing into life a new creation where Jesus goes and does. New creation breaks into reality, and not even death itself can stop him. And so these signs are important just in their own intrinsic value. Jesus heals someone, he opens the eyes of the blind, multiplies, feeds the 5,000. They have value in what Jesus did in the sign itself. But they also point to a deeper reality, like a sign does just in general. A sign points to something. And that is of the reality and power of God and of what Jesus will ultimately do for all of creation. And so Mickey Klink A New Testament scholar has an excellent commentary on John. He creatively and perceptively states, quote, 
The biblical irony is stark. The Son of God rested from His creative work in a new tomb located in a garden. In this one statement, the entire biblical story is summarized. For all of creation has been reborn. From this garden tomb, life eternal was recreated. That's the sort of cosmically encompassing theology that's being done in these signs. And why were these signs written? Just to inform the reader of Jesus? Just for John to show off a little way how he could write it? Or to teach the reader a few things about Jesus? No. Verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. These signs are not neutral. Jesus is not neutral. Indeed, in each of these seven signs, the evidence of whether or not it is correctly received is based upon the response, belief or unbelief, of those in Jesus' presence when the sign was given. So, water into wine at the wedding, and his disciples believed in him, healing the official son, and he himself believed in all his household. Feeds the 5,000. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world, a confession of belief. Heals the blind man, and when the Pharisees asked him, well, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Once again, a confession of belief. After he raises Lazarus, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. And of course, at his resurrection, there's the belief of Mary Magdalene, of the disciples, and of Thomas. The only sign which is cast in a negative light is the healing of the lame man at the pool in chapter 5, and that's because there's no stated belief. In fact, John says that he did not know who Jesus was. And John just doesn't mean, oh, yeah, well, they just hadn't met before. No, there's a profound, he didn't know who Jesus was. To be in the presence of Jesus is to be confronted with a decision to believe or not believe. For who? For them? For these people? No, for us. For us people. For me. For you. When John says, these are written so that you may believe, he means the reader. He means you. And there's no casual consideration of Jesus. There's no, I'll think about it. There's no, I'm just currently undecided. When we encounter the life and work of Jesus, and right now is precisely that sort of encounter, there is belief or there is unbelief. Oh, well, I need more evidence. What more could John possibly say? In, in John alone, He's proclaimed Jesus as the one whom is one with God. He's the one who existed before creation, the one in whom all things were made, the one in whom contains eternal life, the one who is light to darkness. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the wellspring of life eternal. He gives the right to become children of God. He tells water to become wine. He tells disease to depart. He commands the sea to be his floor, told Lazarus to come out of the grave. He's the source of all life. 
life. He's the protector of life. He's the sacrifice for life, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He's the giver of life. He's the light of the world. He's the way. He's the truth. He is the life. He strengthens the legs of the lame, opens the eyes of the blind. He's unlimited in his provision. He's triumphant over death. And he is, as Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God. John is not interested in persuading you to anything. He's interested in announcing and declaring what is. What's the first responsibility of leadership? Define reality. Jesus has defined it. He and his apostles have given witness to it in their writings. And either you open your eyes to that reality or you live blind to it. But just so we're clear, Jesus is not Lord, King, Savior, and God because any of us in this room believe it. Jesus is Lord, King, Savior, and God, period. Believe what you want to about gravity, but it doesn't change gravity. Take a leap off something and you go down. Jesus is what Jesus said he is. And now we're all confronted with that reality. And the onus is on you as to how you will respond today. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, as Baptists, children of revivalism, we're too often content to put the period right there. But John's not. Belief and believing. We've been incredibly diligent as a denomination about the first. I'm not sure we've always equally emphasized the second. John is not announcing something to the reader so that we'll just merely agree to some sort of abstract propositional truth. You know, Jesus is fill in the blank. Christ, Son of God, Lord, etc. Got it. Oh, yeah, okay. I intellectually assent to that statement. No. It is so that by believing, you may have life in his name. Well, right, of course, that by believing, you may go to heaven when you die. What's so different about that? That's always said in evangelistic messages. Life after death is certainly included in what John means by that. But that alone does not begin to mean what all John means by that. When Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, that has meaning today. When Jesus, after talking about being the vine and the branches of him as the source of life, and he says, I say these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That has meaning today. When Jesus says he gives a gift that's like a spring of water welling up to eternal life, that has meaning today. When Jesus says that he's the bread of life, nourishing us and sustaining us with his presence, that has meaning today. When Jesus offers the forgiveness of sins, that has meaning today. When Jesus promises the presence of his spirit, that has meaning today. And most famous, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Eternal life does not begin when you die. It extends past death. But eternal life begins today, begins yesterday. Love 
forgiveness, joy, purpose, wisdom, freedom, delight, all of which John can only sum up as capital L, life. Jesus offers that today, today. Yes, the hope of heaven and ultimately of resurrection unto a new earth and a fully restored new creation, it is a magnificent hope indeed, and we need not minimize any of it. But neither should we minimize the gift that Jesus offers for the Mondays and Tuesdays of life. And it can't be reduced to some list of beliefs. It can't be reduced to some list of do's and don'ts. It can only be summed up as life. And we need not belabor this next point. But if what Jesus offers to you today is life, to reject it and to choose otherwise and to live the alternative is not bad, it's not wrong, it's death. Capital D, death. Ultimate nothingness. And if you'll allow me to be frank, and you all know that this isn't some shtick, this isn't no, oh yeah, here comes that part Joshua always does in his sermon, I, but I feel impressed by the Lord. If you have lived your life either in indifference or rejection to the claims of Jesus, for however long you've done it, do you really want to go one more day like it? Has it gotten you anywhere? Because it doesn't matter what your friends think about you. It doesn't matter what your job says about you. Doesn't matter what the mirror says about you, what your socioeconomic status purports to say about you. And set aside, set aside whatever ridiculous things Christians have said and done. Because number one, Christians are not the only people on planet earth who have said and done ridiculous things. And number two, right now we're talking about Jesus. Jesus. How many more hours? Days, years, when it's just you, in the quiet, with just you and your thoughts, how much longer do you want to be scared by that? Go to sleep as fast as you can, if you can even go to sleep without taking some pill or drinking something. Because you don't want to deeply reflect on anything about your life. How much longer do you want it to gnaw at you? Is any of this, my life, what I wake up and go do 40 hours a week, does any of it matter? Do I matter? By God, and I mean that literally, yes, you do to Jesus. You matter to Jesus, and your life matters to Jesus no other motivating factor in your life has died for you. Jesus has. Why subject yourself and settle for anything less than the life that he offers for one more second? Change it today. Begin to know the unfathomable love of Jesus.
receive his invitation to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name.